Welcome to Inspiration from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is about 1940s America, the Good War. In early December 1941, Dr. Peter Marshall felt he couldn't preach the message he'd prepared for midshipmen at the United States Naval Academy. All the preceding week, he had been haunted by a strange feeling that he should change his announced topic and preach a particular sermon, wrote his wife Catherine. It was a feeling he could not shake off, so Peter preached on the text, seemingly a strange text for young midshipmen. James 4, verse 14. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. While driving back to their home in Washington, D.C. later that afternoon, the marshals listened as a radio announcer interrupted with a grave announcement. The Japanese had bombed the United States Naval Fleet at Pearl Harbor. On the day President Roosevelt said would live in infamy, almost 2,400 American servicemen died, and nearly 1,200 were wounded. America declared war on Japan as well as its allies, Germany and Italy. World War I had seemed to most Americans an internecine power struggle between cousins over the family fortune. World War II, on the other hand, clearly presented itself as a conflict between good and evil as Germany decimated Europe, slaughtering Jews and other people it determined were undesirable amongst its so-called master race. Japan was conducting its own march of death in Asia and the Pacific, to the glory of its emperor god Hirohito, murdering foreigners and dissidents, and turning women into sex slaves. As in the First Global War, American churches supported the effort with countless volunteer activities like offering canteen programs for the servicemen, preparing medical supplies, and lending their clergy as chaplains. But there were significant differences. Gone was the vitriol hurled against the enemy during the first conflict. Gone also was the great influence that churches had exerted a generation earlier upon the society. Documentary filmmaker Ken Burns told me in an interview there was nevertheless a spontaneous combustion that took place. We were surprised when creating the documentary series The War at the amount of communion footage we saw. Some sergeant got down on his knees. There were services on decks of ships, just an amazing manifestation of religiousness in a more cynical period. And yet, the religiousness had a different feel to it than in past wars. There weren't full-scale revivals like the ones during the Civil War, for example. And most of the fighting men didn't have the rock-solid, 
unorthodox beliefs of their ancestors. Even so, countless troops did turn to God for help. Of them, Tom Brokaw wrote, Faith in God was not a casual part of the lives of the World War II generation. The men and women who went off to war or stayed home volunteer that their spiritual beliefs helped them cope with the constant presence of possible death, serious injury, or the other anxieties attendant to the disruptions brought on by war. The very nature of war prompted many who participated in it to think more deeply about God and their relationship to a higher being once they returned home. One of those men was Harry Reg Hammond, who said, I think we were on God's side. The United States has done some foolish things, but in that war I knew we had God with us. When he fought on D-Day at Normandy, he said, I saw more bodies in a short time than most undertakers will see in a lifetime, young men dead alongside the road. Every night I would pray for those guys and myself. I think it deepened my faith. You needed something to keep you going. It made me realize that there was something much larger than just me. I realized it had to be God. Many years after the war, Hammond became a minister. Former U.S. Senator Mark Hatfield was a young man who saw action at Iwo Jima, and he reflected on what it meant to face death and the hereafter. I was raised in a very strong Christian home, he said. I suppose that was also part of my armor, in the sense that if I got hit, I knew where I was headed. I had confidence in my faith. In those years, a new conviction developed, however unarticulated, that someone who died in such a noble undertaking couldn't possibly go to hell. After all, God was so obviously on the side of the Allies, who were fighting to save civilization from the barbarism of Hitler, Imperial Japan, and Mussolini. They were the bad guys, them and their evil cohorts, Tojo, Goering, Hess. They were the ones assigned to everlasting perdition. Moreover, the Allied soldiers had already been through the worst experiences imaginable. So how could hell be any worse? This was echoed in the epitaph that a war correspondent at Guadalcanal found on a headstone in the Marine Cemetery. And when he gets to heaven, to St. Peter he will tell, One more Marine reporting, sir. I've served my time in hell. Many were keenly aware of their dependence on God as the Allied forces of the United States, Great Britain, and Canada prepared to invade Europe via Normandy, France on the morning of June 6, 1944. Nearly 5,000 Americans would die that day. The night before, General Dwight Eisenhower visited some of the soldiers, asking where they came from, dreading what lay ahead for them. Seeing the general frown, one paratrooper assured him, Now quit worrying, General. 
We'll take care of this thing for you. In his invasion field order to the troops, he was blunt about what they would face. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. Therefore, beseech the blessings of Almighty God on this great and noble undertaking. A colonel in the 101st Airborne Division told his men the night before, Men, get on your knees. Now, I'm not a religious man, but I want you to get on your knees. Then he prayed briefly for them. He died in the first wave. President Roosevelt also led the nation in prayer, mentioning that death would claim many, and foreseeing, in keeping with the tone of the day, that they would go to heaven. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true, give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. A paratrooper sat in his plane with his rosary that day, vowing he'd never violate the sixth commandment again. His buddy was praying, Lord, please don't let me get anybody killed, and don't let me get killed either. I really think I'm too young for this. Another repeatedly asked God, Give me guts. Give me guts. Each, in his own way, tried to make peace with God, knowing he might be meeting him very soon. The Allies were victorious on D-Day, although thousands of Americans lost their lives trying to drive the Nazis back. The war continued for another year after that, ending in some of the most unspeakable horrors the world had ever faced. When the Allies liberated the German death camps, they uncovered the shocking truth that nine million people, two-thirds of them Jews, had been murdered just for being who they were. Most of them had perished in gas chambers and ovens. The Japanese had vowed to fight to the death, taking as many allies with them as possible and they only surrendered after American planes dropped atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, resulting in gruesome death and injury for tens of thousands. A total of 45 million people died during the war, causing many to reframe their ideas about hell. Maybe hell was a place after all, and that place was Earth. Thank you for joining me for Inspiration from American History. Please be sure to check out my latest novel, Easton at the Pass, a feel-good story about two people who live 250 years apart. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.